The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. Tonight's song is Marco Sinkus. Marco Sinkus. Um, so Marco Sinkus was a B-side of "There's a Ghost in My House" of the single "There's a Ghost in My House," uh, released April twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven. So this was kind of in the middle of, uh, this was definitely Brick's period. Yeah. And it was in the middle of their run of, you know, Wonderful and Frightening World and all that good this stuff. Nation Saving Grace, all the, all the great, like, Faggart Banquet yes. releases that they did. Yes. Um, and w- there's a couple of, uh, couple of theories about the song according to every place I checked. Uh-huh. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I read uh, Steve, uh, is it Hanley? Steve Hanley's book, yeah. Yeah, I read that in between us doing <laughs> <laughs> podcasts. It's actually pretty good, but most of it's like just Steve Hanley going, you know, I, I should have punched him earlier or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was, no, it, it's good. It's got all these, it's got really nice, like, late, or it's got really nice notes about everything, and then Steve talking about how kind of hard it was sometimes to be in the band and you know shocking it's yeah i know but uh but but my my main problem and is usually my problem with music books is uh it's so like just surface i guess because he had to do like 20 years within a book yeah basically because he's one of the only guys that stuck it out for that long yeah exactly yeah but uh but i i would say read it no, I, I I have been wanting to. I, you know, there there aren't many. I haven't read any of the fall books because there's the one that that Steve wrote. There's one that Bricks wrote that came out not too long ago. Right. Yeah. And then I think Simon Wolsoncroft, who's the drummer at this point. Yeah. No, he wrote a book, and that's a curious guy because he was like the first drummer for the Stone Roses and was like this sort of Manchester dude. Right. So yeah, I'm yeah, very exactly. curious to read about all these people's you know experiences of the band. So yeah, end of book club, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there's two theories about this song, or at least what it could mean. One of them is basically it's uh, kind of this self-referencing, possible self-fulfilling prophecy about Mark <laughs> s- sinking the band every time they start to make money and become popular. That make, that sounds right. Which is yeah. totally. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's hindsight, but yeah, he yeah, was, it could have it could have been hindsight instead of yeah, yeah. But he's also, I mean, he was, you know, Marcus notoriously uh, self-destructive in that way, and just you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a big that's a big thing in big midweek is just like every time, Hanley. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's sorry, like the, it's like the replacements. Have you read the the replacements book? I haven't, but that's because. I, I don't know. I You know, I followed The Replacements when I was... Because I grew up in the Midwest. Yeah. So it was like one of those... you If you were into that kind of stuff... You, you were um, a fan. Yeah. yeah. But, that's the, but that's a similar thing. It's like whenever they started like moving forward, there was always something that Paul would do. Right. To sort of kneecap them. And they would just do insane shit. Like when they were on tour, like setting fire to their per diems. <laughs> 
<laughs> what are we talking about? Oh yeah. So yeah. anyway, so this also there was a live version of this that was on the seven inch that came free with like the early versions of the Friends experiment. I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because I I had that's one of the few like not rare things I found a version of, like a copy of that somewhere and it was oh. like oh great you know, now cool I've got this cool thing so but yeah a really interesting song and, and there are like multiple versions of this out there yeah. Um, uh, and so, where, so you were talking uh, before we hit record here about where this originated from. Basically, this is all part of the play called Hey Luciani. Uh, it was actually called Hey Luciani, The Life and Codex of John Paul I. Right. Uh, and uh, just to get into that a bit, it was like a play with Michael Clark, who was a dancer, who would later work with The Fall uh, on Curious Orange. Right. And then Lee Bowery was also in this play, who was also in, like, the... Uh, he was also... I think he was in Curious Orange. If not, he was in a, at least one or two videos mm -hmm. around this time. Um, he's he's famous for, like, wearing polka... He's a very large dude who uh, would wear polka dots and then paint his face with polka dots. So they were in it, and basically the play ran for two weeks, uh, in 1986 in West London. Um, and then The Fall used, uh, well, The Fall had written a bunch of music for this play, and a lot of it didn't, well, they didn't really make an album for it, and a lot of this stuff ended up on... Um, sort of B-sides, or there was a single called Hey Luciani, and that was from that play. Right. Um, so, before I get into what it's about, because I thought that was kind of interesting, and plus it'll probably help us out sometime in the future with other Hey Luciani songs. But uh, basically, the play uses Pope John Paul I's death as kind of the starting point to uh, talk about, you know, um, <laughs> Catholicism and, and uh, uh, sort of the occult. Mm -hmm. and, and apparently the play involved uh, Israeli commandos, demonic possession, Italian fascists, ex-Nazis, and a Scottish communist. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good plays. Dude. Yes. Yeah. So that was from, uh, I think I pulled that from the story of the fall, so, or the website. So I thought that was a, a nice, you know, succinct uh, sort of <laughs> rundown of the play. Uh, so, so Pope John Paul I, so I, when I, I've known about that for a while, mm -hmm. and then when I was thinking, every time I'd hear about it, I, I was thinking it was like 16th century or something, because... He's the first, so you figure yeah, it would be a long time ago. But no, it actually happened. This whole story happened in the late 70s. And then there was a bunch of books came out about this weird, these weird conspiracy theories about the death of Pope John Paul I. His name was, uh, well, uh, in English, American English, it's Albino Luciani, but I'm guessing... Albino. Yeah, Albino in Italian, yeah. Um, but he was, so he was the first John Paul. Uh, he was the first pope born in, 20, in the 20th century. And he became a pope on August 26, 1978, and died 33 years later. Or no, shit. 33 days later. That would be oh, why that's it's so... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Good God. The All shortest right. reign in papal history. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, he was known as... One his, of the shortest. Yeah, so basically he had liberal views um, as opposed to, you know, the conservative Catholic Church that was around at that point yeah. and is possibly is. around now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, no offense. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, so... Uh, there were like lots of contradictory reports and anomalies about his death, um, so it led to a. This is what led to the conspiracy theories. Okay. And so one theory posits that this guy named Paul Marcinkus, uh, who was the head of the Vatican Bank, who in 1982 was indicted as accessory in the collapse of. Banco Ambrosiano and Jesus, that was horrible, sorry. But, uh, which was basically the Vatican Bank. Uh, or, sorry, that was a major shareholder in the Vatican Bank. Okay. Um, so that was, you know, five years, four years? Four years after the death. Right. Uh, it's been a long day. Anyway, so after, after John Paul's death... Um, there was lots of conspiracy about he was killed because Marcinkus was taking money out of the Vatican Bank, and John Paul found out about this. Wow. Uh, so he was also... Uh, and I guess Marcinkus was also a Freemason. So the, the, that's, you know... This you is know. getting really conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why all these books came out, and I'm guessing also that's why Mark got into it, because he was like, ooh... It's fairly new conspiracy. I think the book, the main book about this that was taken, or that was used by Mark, was came out in like eighty three or eighty four or something like that. Um, So, Paul Marcinkus, that's where the play uh, on Mark Mm Olsinkus, that's where the play on words comes in, and so. Um, you know, the other theory, as as I laid out all that history uh, badly, but still laid it out, um, <laughs> uh, was that, you know, the song is about Paul Marcinkus. Um, he was linked in the conspiracy theory to John Paul's, uh, the first death, Pope John Paul, the first death. Um, and that's kind of what it's about. What what the whole song is about? Interesting. Yeah, and if you look at the lyrics, they're like the first line has something to do with about like there was spots of blood on the wall. Yeah, like yeah. it's a very ominous sort of. There's a lot of ominous stuff going on. <laughs> um, so th- that that theory kind of plays in, and since it was a part of the play, Hey Luciani, you know that all kind of makes sense. But Absolutely. I, I I just thought I'd throw that one out there because it was such an interesting. You know, look at what Mark E. Smith was doing with history and what he tends to do with history in a lot of his lyrics is like, you know, a lot of it is conspiratorial history. Yeah, with a big throughout. fan of that. that yeah. Science fiction. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, but at the same time, this, this whole thing seems pretty, I don't know, uh, I, right up his alley completely made for him to make a song about uh, <laughs> so I thought I, I just yeah so I just thought that was interesting uh, as far as the song goes um, and that that's my long spiel on uh, 
on on Hey Luciani. So it's so fascinating because you know you look online and there's like an actual transcription of the the play. Yes. Hey Luciani, which has been you know fascinating to look through. Um, because it's a very it's it reads like a very postmodern play. Yeah. So I think like bricks and the. If wasn't there, a, there was a second woman, Marsha Schofield, who was the keyboardist, at the right time. at yeah. that time. Yeah. So I think they were like they played the Israeli Commandos. Yeah. I read somewhere. Right. <laughs> and ah, uh, sorry. And just, you know, my research is from a couple of weeks ago, so I can't quite remember everything. But one of the songs that they sing is, I believe, on the B sides comp that was put out by Beggars Banquet. And yeah, because there was a bunch yeah. like Doctor Faustus came from this. And yeah. Peluciani and guest informant, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of this as well. Um, and yeah, um, and it sounds like, and just looking through the transcript, it seems like you know Marco Sinkas was sort of weaved through the play. So you didn't hear the whole song; you just heard these like little like segments of mm-hmm. it between scenes, essentially. Right. So it's uh, almost like a you know a soundtrack. Yeah. So like kind of like cues or something. Something like, like that. that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that yeah, so I don't know. The, the the lyrics themselves are pretty short. Like I said, they're fairly ominous and um, you know spats of blood and uh, a crux. Yeah, which could be a cross. It could be you know a crux of two things coming together. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to it's, say. It's an odd. It's an odd song. I like it a lot, though. It's one of my favorites of no, the B sides. But yes, yeah. I uh, and as I was telling you before, like this is totally late period pavement. No yeah. offense, like I we are gonna we talked about them in an older episode, which may not come out yet. But yeah, I, but it's true. I, I you know a lot. You listen to a lot of the early stuff from like the. Um, What's the like slanted and enchanted? No, or the even singles. Other than that. Like yeah. The singles oh, the singles the definitely. By yeah. Muskins, you know. That it's, stuff was definitely like yeah. the fall and uh, a couple of other bands like yeah, I know Swell Maps. I know they're and a big stuff echo like the Bunnymen fans too. But you oh, and there's you don't that hear too. a lot of that stuff in that. No, in that this stuff, is but... it's definitely more like the noisier side of Swell Maps and yeah, exactly. the fall and yeah, yeah, stuff like that. It's but like, but definitely this like just the for me it was. Uh, the the delivery of the lyrics mm-hmm. that was definitely sounded like a late era pavement sort of thing. Totally. Um, and for the actually for the music, what I was kind of taken by was it sounded like they took one riff from a Groundhog song or something. Yeah. And just played that instead of going onto the thirty three other riffs <laughs> <laughs> in a Groundhog song. Uh, so it it would but it definitely had that kind of like proggy bluesy thing british blues thing going on yeah somebody laid down the uh kind of jazzy piano chords over the top of that which made it really interesting yeah like so it wasn't just like straight ahead blue british blues yeah so what do you what do you make of just marky smith's penchant for self referential lyrics like that or like naming songs like that like you know cnc s smithering and, yeah you know, the um oh i can't think of the other one that i was thinking of there's like a lot of stuff where he uses his initials and stuff yeah yes and, and stuff and he's you know 
uh, it's it's playful for sure, but it, it, do you think there's also an element of like self mythologizing in so? a way? Yeah. yeah, I mean, which is a kind of I I view it as that because in this one it's like Markle Sinkus and then he did or yeah. something. Yeah, and that and that you know, he, or maybe it was something that somebody told him like or he overheard or something i don't know <laughs> but just connected it to the last name of this you know yeah or, or something yeah. but but yeah i don't i find it i i always find it interesting when bands do that i mean the other self-mythologizing band that always sticks in my head being an american from this period uh would be rem who oh yeah <laughs> seemed to self-mythologize constantly in weird ways and uh but also, if you so if you look at it from a literary canon sort of point, this is definitely the time period of uh, confessional sort of writing, and okay. also for like um, you know the personal essay, which some people are really good at, some people aren't. <laughs> but I, I I feel like maybe that's part of it too. So okay. like this is when that was starting to become a big thing, like uh, oh god, Mailer had already done that. Yeah, and um, I was the Beats, so that was kind of their their. Yeah, thing. And it was a beat thing, and you've got uh, what is it, Slouching towards Bethlehem, who did that? Joan Didion. Yeah, yeah. she was she had already done that in with the White Album and stuff too. Right. So maybe that's part of it. And I was also thinking of poets like, yeah. you know, uh, whose names I can't even think of now. <laughs> Adrian, Adrian Rich and uh, the dude from Massachusetts, Robert Lowell. <laughs> Lowell. Uh, like, so those were like, that was kind of like the generation before Mark in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was still fairly newish. Yeah. And not as academic. But... For me, Mark does it in mostly playful ways, rather than using himself as like a character, as just a character to discuss life, right. which is what it became at some point. Sorry, I've been rambling about that for a while now. What do you think? No, I, I'm curious. <laughs> no, that's why I was asking because I'm curious about it too, uh, and I'm not sure that I have a clear answer on it. I mean, obviously, one of the big things, the big, you know. Uh, sticking points about Marky e. Smith and the band it was his ego and I don't know if it was an egotistical thing either because there's that as well he, yeah. but he was obviously a huge fan of English literature and literature in general from around the world and right and so he clearly he, I think he knew enough to to build a point in those directions those sort of postmodern and directions as well as you know the the the, the personal uh people sort of self-mythologizing in, in literature and mm-hmm. poetry like we've been talking about. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's really curious. I, yeah, and I don't know... Yeah, I, I guess I, the, what I get stuck on is what we were talking before about the, the the theory behind this sort of being a self-fulfilling prophecy of him knowing... Right. Him being self-aware enough to know how self-destructive he could be with this project. <laughs> And with everyone who played in it. Had he really done that yet, though? Like, that's my question, because... Well, because up to this point, it was basically like the fall was the fall for... And they were this weird, splatty, postmodern thing. Yeah. And then Bricks joins, and then that's when they start, like, getting... They start selling a lot more records. Yeah. They start getting in the charts. 
they start making these like almost pop songs for a lot of the time. Exactly. And and, and this is when there was a really there was a core group that stuck together for a while. That's true. Between Steve and and Bricks and Simon and Marsha and um, whoever else played on this record, the other, the other guitar player, yeah. you know. So um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't think he he had really done the big self destructive part yet. That was I right think around that was, the corner. Yeah, I think that was to come after the Friends experiment. Really, I think wasn't it? Like yeah, I was think that, it was around that because it basically. I think it coincided basically about the time that they left Beggar's Banquet or they had that contract ran. Right, right, exactly. And because then they moved on, to, I don't know, they moved on to other labels and started their own, you know, Cog Sinister. And, right. you know, that's when they, yeah, like, um, I think it was, yeah, right before Extricate. So I guess it would be around the Friends Experiment time then, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I was like, that's why I thought it was a weird self fulfilling thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe he knew... I mean, obviously, he knows himself fairly well and likes to play on that. Yeah, I think so. Um, Did he know he was going to cause... I mean, was... uh, Then we get into the weird relationship questions of him and Bricks at this point. Right, because she was part of the... You know the chorus singing that line, Markle Senkos. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so that, even that, in the live version, I think. Or actually, I read somewhere where was it? The, I think it, she sings it in a live version, but I think in the studio version they took her off of it. Oh, I didn't know that. I think that's what I read. Yeah. So it was right. I guess it was right around yeah. that time. Maybe I was sitting a little too close to home then. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, shit. Maybe he did just know, and maybe like the maybe it was not titled that until the end right till they'd done it and like they're putting it out and they're like what do we call it and he's like mark alzingas and everybody's like okay yes you will <laughs> yeah so who knows i i <clears throat> that's always a good question and something we should probably keep in mind through everybody should keep in mind yeah while listening to any fall period yeah any <laughs> era of the band oh my gosh she's yeah. like what is actually happening and what is being played up is happening and what is much like his historical conspiracies <laughs> what is real and what isn't real yeah is always a good question for it but yeah i mean you know one of the other things we're going to talk about in another future episode at least one of the songs that we're going to talk about in this recording session is another like really self-referential one so i mean it's not something he stopped doing at any point in the band right career. and like, then yeah turning back to the, even the solo record he did there was a lot of that churning around yeah this crazy you know, definitely sound collages he was making and i think i think people that mm, it's it's always questionable because not for mark but that whole idea of mythologizing yourself is like you have to be really good at it and i think mark was really good at it oh sure or else it becomes like just bad teenage poetry <laughs> or something you know what i mean yeah yeah uh and in teenagers I can't imagine you're listening to a podcast about the fall, but just keep writing. <laughs> just in case you're out there, teenagers. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but I think that Mark is really good at that, and he definitely didn't stop because... No. Like, later albums, there's tons of him still walking down the street doing stuff <laughs> or sitting at home right. trying to feed his cats or something. And so, <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I... I I've, 
yeah, Marco Sinkus is a pretty interesting song because it is so succinct and short and there aren't that many lyrics, but it definitely is one of those songs that has th- this weird ominous fall thing going on throughout the whole song. Yeah. I think I think, you know, the line that always sticks to me as being the most self-referential is this idea of the crux pretty grasped yet mostly misunderstood, which I think especially at that era of the fall sums up how people responded to that band right pretty especially you know getting all these new fans with like their singles actually getting on the charts right. and being played on the radio a little bit you know the only, yeah. you know the the one that i saw come up especially in annotated the annotated fall but other kind of sites i've talked about it was the end where he says friend depression comes now and again once in a blue moon he points backwards thus and then he sings Markle sinkus yeah <laughs> which is which is pretty you know could be dead on might be that he's playing up that as being dead on yeah we i didn't know we didn't know mark so but um still at the same time um it's an interesting those are interesting lines yeah you know fascinating song very fascinating and you should go read the play it's fairly fascinating as well i haven't made it all the way through i I haven't uh, either i kind of skimmed through a bunch of it and read the early parts the 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 you know the beginning parts of it right very, very fascinating but it's really dense just like a good fall song it's like, yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in there oh it it kind of reminded me of uh what was it my my friend my gastroenterologist or my lover <laughs> mark liner yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of some of his of the ilk of yeah, writing that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah there you go